Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, reading today from 12 Sermons on the Resurrection. That's the name of the book from the Charles Spurgeon Library. We started this message yesterday on the resurrection called, I Know That My Redeemer Liveth. Let's finish it up now. There is another word in this consoling sentence, and he's talking about the sentence out of the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He says there's another word, another word. He's given you several words that, that are giving us comfort and blessing. But there's another word which no doubt served to give a zest to the comfort of Job. It was that he could say, I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And to say, I hope so, I trust so, that's comfortable. And there are thousands in the fold of Jesus who hardly ever get much further. But to reach the morrow of consolation, you must say, I know. Ifs, buts, and perhapses are, are sure murderers of peace and comfort. Doubts are dreary things in times of sorrow. Like wasps, they sting the soul. If I have any suspicion that Christ is not mine, that there is vinegar mingled with the gall of death, Indeed, but if I know that Jesus is mine, then darkness is not dark. Even the night is light about me. Out of the lion cometh honey. Out of the eater cometh forth sweetness. I know that my Redeemer liveth. This is a brightly burning lamp cheering the damps of the sepulchral vault. But a feeble hope is like a flickering smoking flax, just making darkness visible, but nothing more. I would not like to die with a mere hope mingled with suspicion. I might be safe with this, but, but hardly happy. But, oh, to go down into the river knowing that all is well, confident that as a guilty, weak, and helpless worm, I have fallen into the arms of Jesus and believing that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. I would have you, dear Christian friends, Never look upon the full assurance of faith as a thing impossible to you. Say not, it is too high, I cannot attain unto it. I have known one or two saints of God who have rarely doubted their interest at all. There are many of us who do not often enjoy any ravishing ecstasies, but on the other hand, we generally maintain the even tenor of our way, simply hanging upon Christ feeling that his promise is true, that his merits are sufficient, and that we are safe. Assurance is a jewel for worth, but not for rarity. It is the common privilege of all the saints, if they have but the grace to attain unto it. And this grace the Holy Spirit gives freely. Surely if Job in Arabia, in those dark, misty ages, when there was only the morning star and not the sun, when they saw but little, when life and immortality had not been brought to light, if Job, before the coming and advent, still could say, I know, well, you and I should not speak less positively. God forbid that our positiveness should be presumption. Let us try ourselves and see that our marks and evidences are right, lest we form an uh, ungrounded hope. For nothing can be more destructive than to say peace, peace, when there is no peace. But oh, 
Let us build for eternity and build solidly. Let us not be satisfied with the mere foundation, for it is from the upper rooms that we get the widest prospect. Let us pray the Lord to help us to pile stone on stone until we are able to say, as we look at it, yes, I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. This, then, for present comfort today in the prospect of departure. And now in the third and last place, as the anticipation of future delight, let me call to your remembrance the other part of the text. This is number three. Job not only knew that the Redeemer lived, but he anticipated the time when he should stand in the latter day upon the earth. No doubt Job referred here to our Savior's first advent, to the time when Jesus Christ, the Goel, the kinsman, should stand upon the earth to pay in the blood of his veins the ransom price, which had indeed in bond and stipulation been paid before the foundation of the world in promise. But I cannot think that Job's vision stayed there. He was looking forward to the second advent of Christ as being the period of the resurrection. We cannot endorse the theory that Job arose from the dead when our Lord died, although certain Jewish believers held this idea very firmly at one time. We are persuaded that the latter day refers to the advent of glory rather than to that of shame. Our hope is that the Lord shall come to reign in glory where he once died in agony. The bright and hallowed doctrine of the second advent has been greatly revived in our churches in these latter days, and I look for the best results in consequence. There is always a danger lest it be perverted and turned by fanatical minds, by prophetic speculations, into an abuse. But the doctrine in itself is one of the most consoling and at the same time one of the most practical tending to keep the Christian awake, because the bridegroom cometh at such an hour as we think not. Beloved, we believe that the same Jesus who ascended from Olivet shall so come in like manner as he ascended up into heaven. We believe in his personal advent and reign. We believe and expect that when both wise and foolish virgins shall slumber, in the night when sleep is heavy upon the saints, when men shall be eating and drinking as in the days of Noah, that suddenly, as the lightning flashes from heaven, so Christ shall descend with a shout, and the dead in Christ shall rise and reign with him. We're looking forward to the literal, personal, and actual standing of Christ upon earth as the time when creation's groans shall be silenced forever and the earnest expectation of the creation shall be fulfilled. Mark that, that Job describes Christ as standing. Some interpreters have read the passage, he shall stand in the latter days against the earth, and that as the earth has covered up the slain, as the earth has become the charnel house of the dead, Jesus shall arise to the contest and say, Earth, I am against thee, give up thy dead. Ye clods of the valley, cease to be custodians of my people's bodies. Silent deeps, and you, ye caverns of the earth, deliver once for all those whom you have imprisoned. Machpelah shall give up its precious treasures. 
cemeteries and graveyards shall release their captives, and all the deep places of the earth shall resign the bodies of the faithful. Well, whether that be so or no, the posture of Christ in standing upon the earth is significant. It shows his triumph. He has triumphed over sin, which once like a serpent in its coils had bound the earth. He has defeated Satan. On the very spot where Satan gained his power, Christ has gained the victory. Earth, which was a scene of defeated goodness, whence mercy once was all but driven, where virtue died, where everything heavenly and pure, like flowers blasted by pestilential winds, hung down their heads, withered and blighted on this very earth. Everything that is glorious shall blow and blossom in perfection. And Christ himself, once despised and rejected of men, fairest of all the sons of men, shall come in the midst of a crowd of courtiers, while kings and princes shall do him homage, and all the nations shall call him blessed. He shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And then, at that auspicious hour, says Job, in my flesh I shall see God. Oh, blessed anticipation, I shall see God. He, he does not say, I shall see the saints. Uh, doubtless we shall see them all in heaven, but I shall see God. Note he does not say, I shall see the pearly gates, I shall see the walls of jasper, I shall see the crowns of gold and the harps of harmony, but I shall see God. As if that were the sum and substance of heaven. In my flesh shall I see God. The pure in heart shall see God. It was their delight to see him in the ordinances by faith. They delighted to behold him in communion and in prayer. There in heaven they shall have a vision of another sort. We shall see God in heaven and be made completely like him. The divine character shall be stamped upon us. And being made like to him, we shall be perfectly satisfied and content. Likeness to God, what could we wish for more? And a sight of God, what can we desire better? We shall see God. And so there shall be perfect contentment to the soul and a satisfaction of all the faculties. Some read the passage, yet I shall see God in my flesh, and hence think that there is here an allusion to Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Word made flesh. Well, be it so, or be it not so, it is certain that we shall see Christ, and He, as the divine Redeemer, shall be the subject of our eternal vision, nor shall we ever want any joy beyond simply that of seeing him. Think not, dear friend, that this will be a, a narrow sphere for your mind to dwell in. It is but one source of delight. I shall see God. But that source is infinite. His wisdom, his love, his power, all his attributes shall be subjects for your eternal contemplation. And as he is infinite under each aspect, there is no fear of exhaustion. His works, his purposes, his gifts, his love to you, and his glory in all his purposes and in all his deeds of love. Why, these shall make a theme that never can be exhausted. You may with divine delight anticipate the time when in your flesh you shall see God. 
but I must have you observe how Job has expressly made us note that it is in the same body, yet in my flesh, in my flesh, shall I see God. And then he says again, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eye shall behold, and not another. Yes, it is true that I, the very man standing here, though I must go down to die, yet I shall, as the same man, most certainly arise, and shall behold my God, not part of myself, though the soul alone shall have some view of God, but the whole of myself, my flesh, my soul, my body, my spirit, shall gaze on God. We shall not enter heaven, dear friends, as a dismasted vessel is tugged into harbor. We shall not get to glory, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, but the whole ship shall be floated safely into the haven, body and soul both being saved. Christ shall be able to say, All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. Not only all the persons, but all of the persons, each man in his perfection. There shall not be found in heaven one imperfect saint. There shall not be a saint without an eye, much less a saint without a body. No member of the body shall have perished, nor shall the body have lost any of its natural beauty. All the saints shall be all there and all of all. The same persons precisely, only that they shall have risen from a state of grace to a state of glory. They shall be ripened. They shall be no more the green blades, but the full corn in the ear. No more buds but flowers. Not babes, but men. Please to notice, and then I shall conclude, how the patriarch puts it as being a real personal enjoyment, whom mine eye shall behold, and not another. They shall not bring me a report as they did the Queen of Sheba, but I shall see Solomon the king for myself. I shall be able to say as they did who spake to the women of Samaria, Now I believe, not because of thy word who did bring me a report, but I have seen him for myself. There shall be personal relationship with God, not through the book, which is but as a glass, not through the ordinances, but directly in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be able to commune with the deity as a man talketh with his friend, not another. If I could be a changeling and, and could be altered, that would mar my comfort. Or if my heaven must be enjoyed by proxy, if drafts of bliss must be drunk from me, where were the hope? Oh no, for myself, not through another. Shall I see God? Have we not told you a hundred times that nothing but personal religion will do? And is not this another argument for it? Because resurrection and glory are personal things, not another. If you could have sponsors to repent for you, then depend upon it. You, you would have sponsors to be glorified for you. But as there is not another to see God for you, so you must yourself see and yourself find an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, let me observe how foolish have you and I been when we have looked forward to death with shudders, with doubts, with loathings. After all, what is it? Worms? 
Do we tremble at those bare, base-crawling worms, scattered particles? Shall we be alarmed at these? To meet the worms, we have the angels. And to gather the scattered particles, we have the voice of God. I am sure the gloom of death is altogether gone now that the lamp of resurrection burns. Disrobing is nothing now that better garments await us. We may long for evening to undress, that we may rise with God. I am sure, my venerable friends now present, in, in coming so near as they do now to the time of the departure, must have some visions of the glory on the other side of the stream. Bunyan was not wrong, my dear brethren, when he put the land Beulah at the close of the pilgrimage. Is not my text a telescope which will enable you to see across the Jordan? May it not be as hands of angels to bring you bundles of myrrh and frankincense? You can say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. You cannot want more. You are not satisfied with less in your youth. You will not be content with less now. Those of us who are young are comforted by the thought that we may soon depart. I say comforted, not alarmed by it. And we almost envy those whose race is nearly run because we fear, and yet we must not speak thus, for the Lord's will be done. I was about to say we fear that our battle may last long, and that perhaps our feet may slip. Only he that keepeth Israel doth not slumber nor sleep. So since we know that our Redeemer liveth, this shall be our comfort in life, that though we fall, we shall not be utterly cast down. And since our Redeemer liveth, this shall be our comfort in death, that though worms destroy this body, yet in our flesh we shall see God. May the Lord add his blessing on the feeble words of this morning and, and to him be glory forever. Amen. And this poem is at the end of the message. Grave, the guardian of our dust. Grave, the treasury of the skies. Every atom of thy trust rests in hope again to rise. Hark! The judgment trumpet calls, soul, rebuild thy house of clay, immortality thy walls, and eternity thy day. Amen. Amen. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.